In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by sisters Lucy Koblenz and Sovi Luis as they share a part of their story being raised in and running away from their Amish upbringing, as well as discuss the pervasiveness of shame across different cultures and spiritual communities. This week's conversation is based around the topics and themes in chapter 10 of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoy today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and do we have a good one in store for you today? Today on the podcast, I am joined by two very special guests. We have Lucy Koblenz and her sister, Sovi Luis. And I, I am really excited for this episode because their story is incredible. And without saying too much, I'll give a quick introduction here. I'll let them share the actual story. But they both grew up in an Amish community from which they both ended up running away from together when they were teenagers. and. I think that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it there because I'll let them tell the rest. So let's just jump right into it with a question that I ask every guest at the beginning. And that is, if you two could please tell us a little bit about yourselves and your backgrounds, particularly in regards to church, faith, etc. Hey, Austin, thank you so much for this conversation. I was really looking forward to this conversation because, first of all, I was really excited about your book. This is a conversation that I think so many wanted to have, but you you started it for a lot of us. Um, the idea of how this, you know, religion and growing up in church affects you as a person and where it brought you today and um, all of that. So I grew up Amish. And for those who are not familiar with what Amish is, it's basically, you know, a very quiet community that keeps to themselves for the most part traditional and a lot of values, um, plain, some people would call them very plain, uh, no electricity, no vehicles, horse and buggy. I grew up old order Amish, which is one of the most conservative types of Amish. So I grew up on a farm, which is very common for an Amish family. I, along with my sister, we left when I was 17 years old, we ran away from home and that opened up a whole new world for us. So that is a bit of where I'm from. Hi there. Thank you so much, Austin, for having having us on here. A little bit about myself. I, as you know, also grew up Amish. And for me, growing up Amish, the background of it, which which my sister expounded on, and it was a very sheltered, extremely sheltered upbringing. And a person like me being very curious, very intuitive, as a young kid, was not super welcome <laughs> or not embraced within the culture. So I found myself in in a, a lot of shame, condemnation, even as a young kid, like dealing with a lot of that, maybe not having the words to it at, at the time, but obviously throughout my life as I pursued my own healing, went on my own healing journey, uh, was able to find words for what I felt as as a young kid 
And so I was not one that was just quick to follow a rule for the sake of, because that's just always how we did it. You know, I was, I would question it and especially in my mind, but there were certain things that I would also question verbally and found out very quickly that that was not welcome, that that was considered rebellious. It was, um, very much discouraged and a lot of it, it some of it was verbal communication in in that it's not welcome but a lot of it was maybe seeing how someone was treated if they did question the system so it was was a lot by behavior for me for my memory was a lot how someone was treated but as someone that was very curious, I still would push the boundaries as far as I could or as far as I dared to. So that that has been a little bit of my experience as a young kid growing up in the system. That's great. Thank you guys for sharing. And I'm, I'm so excited to have you guys on the podcast because in contrast to most of, if not, I think maybe all of the guests I've had on so far who have grown up or have been a part of, you know, the modern, more westernized Christian church experience, you guys have a very specifically different upbringing. And part of this conversation, which we'll get into a little later, um, is going to revolve around kind of discussing the similarities and differences between your experiences in an Amish community and in a Christian community. Because I think that'd be really interesting to see which things overlap and which things are entirely independent. But first, I wanted to, obviously a big part of your story is the fact that when you guys were younger, much younger, you ran away from your Amish upbringing. So I want to ask you the events, give us some more context into maybe the your actual childhood in your Amish community, and then maybe the events that led to you leaving and maybe a little bit of the result of that. Do you want to go, Sophie? Um, For me, it was, uh, the last was actually my third, uh, third time leaving personally. Um, I had, you know, I was, I was taking the kind of took the rule of, you know, looking out for my younger sister. I was 20. Uh, when, when we left. Okay, so you were 20. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when I attempted the first time I was 19 and I had two failed attempts and well, actually I take that back. The second time we both left to, together uh, as well, uh, but ended up going back uh, they came and got us. And, but then the, the final, when, when we left the last time, it was extremely difficult you know, we had the entire family show up at the house and because uh, the evening before I was given the the ultimatum of either you deny your faith or you can't stay here. And I really, I really don't believe that what happened, the out- outcome was what they expected. Um, but at that point, sure. I I had a, a strong enough relationship and a personal relationship with my Heavenly Father that I knew that I knew <laughs> that I can't survive there spiritually. And so when that ultimatum was given, I knew immediately, well, okay, I can't stay here. And so the decision was made 
the night before, which I had told my dad that we would be leaving the following morning. And so that evening, we packed our bags. The following morning didn't at all go how we <laughs> anticipated. We yeah. had the whole family, you know, trying to physically keep us there. And we ended up leaving with the clothes that we had on our backs. That's all we left with. Uh, we ran. And so it was a it was a very so surreal moment in our, mm-hmm. our life. And yet there was like such for me, it was such an urgency that I have to get out of here. I didn't understand that, you know, all of it, which I'm seeing bits and pieces of why that was now. But at the time, I just had this like intense feeling of I have to get out of here. And so, you know, when we ran, you know, at the first moment that we were physically able to to get away, we just ran. And it was extremely difficult. And, and being being told, you know, the the most <laughs> the most awful things that even prior to leaving, like when we tried a few times, was that was the words of, you know, that you're going to hell. And I literally had to come to the point personally to where I was willing to, okay, maybe that's the case, but it can't be worse than where I'm at. It, it's almost like I had yeah. to prepare my mind to that extent to do it because it was so scary at the same time to leave, but it didn't scare me as bad as, as staying, like the fear of, of staying and dying, whether it was, uh, you know, physically, but yeah. spiritually, like on my inside dying scared me worse than the unknown of leaving and the culture shock of of leaving well so um yeah we in the Amish I'll give you a little context we were not encouraged as members to read the bible on our own so we would hear you know the 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 ministers preach on Sunday and that was really the extent of our bible study other than sometimes on holidays like Easter or Christmas we would have some bible reading at home you know for my dad Um, we weren't encouraged to read it on our own And so when I was 13 years old, I started to read the Bible. And and again, our first language is German, Swiss German. So we had German Bibles. Um, German is, Swiss German is a a spoken dialect. It's not a written language. So reading German, I could read it fluently, easily, but understanding it was a little challenging. And so um, that was, we weren't allowed to have English Bibles. So At about 13 years old, I found that my dad had a small brown English Bible and I would take it from his bookcase and read it when he didn't know and put it back, you know, before he noticed. And then at some point when I was 14, my sister and I attended a camp meeting that was not Amish. And it happened uh, within, you know, within our community locally, but it was put on by another church, a non-Amish church. And that was the first time that I heard the gospel. So uh, it was very simply put, and it just really tugged on my heart. Um, I didn't go forward to the altar for prayer. I was too scared. Obviously, we're there. We can't, we look kind of odd because we're dressed Amish. No one else is. And, and you, right, you, feel, <laughs> you feel out of place. Yeah. Um, and we were at that point, you know, I, I couldn't even really make eye contact with someone. I was so bashful. Sure. 
And so uh, a couple of days later at home, I can't remember the exact time frame. I said the prayer that they pr- uh, prayed that night as much as I could remember. And I had this like really real experience where I just felt his presence immediately. I felt mm. uh, a sense of protection and safety that I hadn't felt before in my life. And there was something very, um, I have a hard time talking about this without tears, but um, I used to have nightmares all the time and as a kid, and I would have nightmares about hell because there was so much fear, so much condemnation put on us as kids, you know, that we were wicked and that God was just waiting to punish us if we messed up. And so the way that I responded to that was, you know, my subconscious mind, I, I had nightmares and I would wake up often and I couldn't go back to sleep. And so after I said that prayer, I didn't have a nightmare anymore. It just stopped. And so that, that to me was this really real tangible thing that proved to me that he was real and that I could trust him, that he was good. And, um, so we started, my sister and I, we started reading our Bible um, and then we started asking questions because we, w- we would see things that didn't line up, that were, we were taught that didn't line up. And we started asking questions, which takes a lot of courage to do when you're in a community like that, yeah. as I'm sure you know, when you challenge uh, a belief system and it's not welcomed, it takes so much courage to do that. And so we were told that we are not to read our Bibles. And so my dad would... Uh, <laughs> He would check on us at night um, to see if our lights were on and if we're up. And it came down to we would read the Bible under our bed covers with a flashlight. (laughs) And you have to understand, like, we had no outside influence. We didn't have phones. We didn't have the Internet. We didn't even have books. We didn't have any outside voice at all. And so reading the Bible was it was such a gift and it's, it was such a it was so real to us at that time and it was like that was our life and we mm-hmm. desperate as someone might be addicted to playing video games and and every free minute that they had they might be playing a game we were reading our bible <laughs> that's a much better alternative in my mind <laughs> right i mean yeah so that was a that little bit of background on what brought us to this place of then having this faith that Sobe mentioned that we were told to deny because it was dangerous and it was leading us away from the Amish faith. And so leaving that was really scary. And as she also mentioned, we had to brace our mind in a way that we were willing to test the limits of going to hell to actually get away because you're, you're so conditioned, you're so programmed and you truly believe that. You've never heard something other than that. And there's this tremendous fear. And we had to overcome that and sort of compensate for that by just saying, you know what? I may go to hell, but I'm still leaving, you know? So we did. We did. And and then the experience of leaving throughout the process of how we ran away and how we weren't actually together at one point. And God showed us, like he brought us back together where we found each other and were able to get to safety um, because we were being chased. And it was, it was a, you know, one of those bad dreams that you can't wake up from. That's what it felt like. And so he showed up so real for us that 
it was undeniable. And I'm so grateful for that because it was actually that experience and those encounters where he was there that carried me through all the years of being in this cult that I was a part of for about 10 years after leaving the Amish and hearing all these things and having all these questions and really getting to the point where I could turn my back on God and I could really hate him. <laughs> I could really yeah. be angry and I was angry for a time period, but I could be, I could have lost my faith, but what kept me from not losing my faith was those moments when we left and he was there and he showed up in such a real way. Wow. That's so cool. I mean, I, I met you guys, I'd say maybe around two years ago for the first time. And I've heard from people, my parents and other friends, like, oh, their story is amazing. You need to hear their story. And I've heard bits and pieces, but never that much detail. And it's really interesting hearing those differences and also some similarities as well. So speaking of differences and similarities, I want to expand on that idea a little bit in terms of Amish community and culture and faith versus maybe more modern Christian church experiences. Can you guys just walk us through maybe some of the things that were different in the Amish community growing up as opposed to maybe a typical Christian church? And then maybe some things that you've realized are very particular to an Amish culture as far as ideas, experiences, practices, beliefs, etc. that differentiate them from other spiritual communities. So one thing that I've noticed uh, since I left the Amish community is that um, I, at first I felt like I was on my own in a very real sense of the word. Growing up Amish, it was very controlled, restrictive, a lot of rules, um, which I'm seeing are common in other churches as well. But one of the things that I felt when I left was that I didn't have, if something bad happened to me, I was on my own. And in the Amish community, and you could say that this is a good aspect of growing up that way, um, if disaster struck your family or anyone in the community, there was always the community there. They would show up quickly and help someone through a difficult situation, whether, you know, it was a natural disaster or an accident or something like that, you know, need, financial needs, uh, things like that. They were very much physically supportive of each other so when you when we left we didn't have that and so there was just this very real sense that I'm on my own and that's scary and I think the controlling side of that is that when you grow up that way in a sense you're restricted and your autonomy is taken from you in so many ways that when you leave you're not equipped to actually be on your own you're not equipped to discern or to recognize you know strange behavior in other people and so it really primed me for being in this cult. And um, so as far as my faith journey in that way, it was really priming me for the, uh, the abuses that I've experienced as an adult. And so you could say that it's a positive thing, the community aspect, but there's so much control within that, that you really don't have a voice and you really don't even, you don't know yourself at all. You're so disconnected from your body, from your mind that you're conditioned to listen to authority and never listen to yourself. Don't listen to your own instincts. You can't trust yourself. Your heart, you know, one of the Bible verses that we heard was your heart is deceitful above all else. Yeah. And that was really used to manipulate people 
and which is unfortunate. And so one of the things that, first of all, I'm going to refer back to your book because um, it's so relatable to anyone that grew up in a strict religious community where your autonomy really was taken from you in, in some, some, some sense of the word. You may have autonomy in certain ways. But in a lot of ways, you don't. And when you teach someone to not trust themselves from the time that they're a child, it's really a dangerous thing because you're not always going to be there to monitor them. And you can't possibly control everything that they do. And you can't keep them safe. And so in that way, your, your story is so relatable to me. And there's so many parts of your book that I was like, that happened, you know, I could, I could relate to that very well. So yeah, I would say that what you shared in your book is very relatable to my own experience in the Amish community. There's obviously positives and negatives to um, growing up that way. Really, the community part is about, you know, good and bad. The control aspect of is, is really bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's so interesting to me, because because I mean, I wrote my book and I, I mentioned a couple of times in there just as kind of like a, a disclaimer, like I know some of my experiences are, are bad, but it's also my experience. So it's elevated for me, but I know many people have experienced a lot worse things in my book. And then like you, I picture my experiences in this non-denominational modern Christian church versus an Amish experience. I'm like, there's no way there's that, that much overlap, but I hope it registers on some level. But to hear that is really interesting to me because... I just didn't place those two experiences so close together. Um, and I know there are many differences, but also the similarities, I think at a, maybe at a foundational level are the ones that have more similarities. Mm-hmm. And that's just interesting to me. I'm glad that what I wrote is able to transcend those things, but it's also unfortunate that it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Sylvia, anything you want to add to that? I would say for myself, I would go off of what, what Lucy was sharing with the book. Like I, was honestly not expecting to be able to relate to it on the level that I relate to. And even your podcast, I know that this last one where you were talking, um, where it was just you, you were talking about your experience with a girl and not, you know, needing somebody's permission with the dating aspect and, and uh, maybe not being able to date till so-and-so happens, you know, till you're a member of the church or whatever, but that also didn't give you a great card to actually date after the fact. You still needed permission, but stating it from that aspect doesn't come across as controlling as if, if it was just stated that you cannot date until I tell you you can, right? And so sure. it kind of leads you on and And so I had similar experiences, maybe not so much in the Amish church as far as the the leaders being involved, but very much, you know, with my family. But I would say I actually experienced that more once I stepped outside of the dating aspect, I would say, when I stepped outside of the the Amish uh, church into very similar, very conservative type churches like Mennonite type churches. And so that was more so where the ministers wanted to be in control. (laughs) And to me, it was, even though it didn't feel right, you know, it, it, something fell off about it. It goes back into what 
we were groomed as and taught from as far back as I can remember in not trusting myself. Like if I would, if I was left to make a decision, it doesn't matter what the decision was, I would most likely make the wrong decision because my heart is so deceitful and it would just lead me down this path of who knows where it would go. Like there's no boundaries. There's nothing that would keep me from anything evil (laughs) because I can't trust myself. And so when you were talking about that in your last episode, it was like, wow, I can, I can so relate in a much greater level with your book and with your podcast than I ever imagined that I would be able to just because of, of, you know, the, the vast difference in, in so many ways, but yet, like you said, that the foundational mindset, maybe it's the spirit underneath all of it (laughs) kind of, you know, overlaps. And, and so it kind of comes up with the, leaves us with the same result of just no trust uh in myself like I could just never trust and and that took me into made me a very prime target for Mm. very uh coercive very controlling relationships and really not speaking up because I didn't see that I had a right to or that I could trust what what my entire body was telling me you know yeah I love the free advertising. That's why I brought you guys on to talk about my book and see how great it is. <laughs> this is great. No, um, it, it is really fascinating to me to hear your perspective on those things because there, there are, there are many things that I would have expected to kind of overlap in certain areas with an Amish versus Christian upbringing community, whatever. And there's also things already that have been surprising to me that make sense but I, I may not have expected them to, to be so similar. But I thank you guys for really giving us a good picture of your experiences because now we're going to kind of bring this into a more focused conversation on the topic of today's episode. This episode you guys are on is episode 10, which is a tie-in with chapter 10 of my book. And that chapter is titled, A System of Shame. And the whole chapter is about the idea of shame and how it was implemented in my experiences growing up in my church and the, the ways that shame itself is utilized in damaging toxic spiritual environments for a plethora of different reasons and the effects it can have on the individual as well, as well as the effects it can have on the community as a whole. So going along the idea of shame in your experiences, I want to ask you guys this, growing up, to what level and in what ways did you experience shame being present or utilized in the Amish community? It was, honestly, shame was a really big part of it. And Dr. Kurt Thompson has a book called The Soul of Shame. And I've read that book and mm-hmm. it's really an incredible book. And he said in there that shame requires secrecy, silence, and judgment. And that was such a big part of our culture and such a big part of just, you know, the, the, really the religious aspect of our lives we were, there was, when abuse happened, there was silence. Mm -hmm. There was no no one standing up for the victims. There was silence. It was hushed. And there was so much secrecy about the abuse. There was so much secrecy about all of the the things that happened that should not have happened. You know, in my home personally, there was a lot of 
verbal and physical abuse and sexual abuse as well. And the the gossip that happened as a part of that culture as well and the judgment that you would mm-hmm. feel. And so I feel like I could safely say that shame was like my identity <laughs> as, a, yeah. as a kid. It really was. In your book, you wrote a sentence that I absolutely love. There's a, I mean, there's more than one, but I wrote this one down because it's so accurate. And you said that shame is the currency of a spiritually abusive ecosystem. I had that written down. Yep. <laughs> it, yeah. it really, really describes so well. Um, you said it is the hmm. fuel that without, uh, without which abuses of control and power would not be maintainable. That so well describes the shame and the, the whole experience around that. And you said it's not maintainable without shame that is required. And so that was who we were. It was like, that was, I said, my identity, but really it was our identity as a group, as a core. And, and I can look back and see how shame impacted, not just me, but my siblings, my parents, my uh, classmates in school, you know, my friends. So it was, we identified in that way. Yeah. Very well said. For me, um, the way shame affected me personally, uh, I would say that the the biggest impact shame had was on my sexuality. And feeling such a heaviness uh, and such a huge weight on myself as a young girl for the purity of the male, I carried such a huge responsibility and such a huge weight in that area to the point that I personally like wished that I was not a girl I wished I was born Mm. a boy because to me it it was such a heaviness it was such an oppression of the responsibility that I felt that I that was on me that was put Mm. on me in that aspect to the point where I went through a phase of where I felt like I rejected my own sexuality and I didn't embrace my sexuality. I didn't see my sexuality as good. I saw it as just harmful to the male species (laughs) and and yet it was never mentioned. It was never talked about even with going through puberty, um, that was never talked about. It just happened and you kind of had to figure it out on your own. And I remember the immense shame and fear that I had when I started my monthly cycle. I thought I was dying. I didn't know what was happening. I had no idea. And so the shame that came with that, because you know, I immediately start thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm dying here. And, and I'm like, must be, I, I messed up somewhere and God is punishing me somehow. And, um, it was, you know, just the things that would go through my mind and, and this, this immense responsibility and shame that I felt, whether it was verbalized or, and, and it was verbalized in some cases as far as like how we had to dress, you know, we had to be, you know, make sure we were completely covered at all times so that we're not a temptation. And 
what has been interesting to me, even though I would not have seen this then and wouldn't have um, recognized it as that this would be happening in other religious communities. And that boils down to the purity culture <laughs> and uh, the, the message around that, like putting the entire, putting the, the female and the male purity on the female. Like she was responsible for herself, but also responsible for the male. And that has, I would say that is what had the biggest impact as far as shame that I carried shame in was my sexuality. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a big, that the idea of purity and purity culture and the shame that that brings transcends so many toxic religious communities, environments, organizations, that, that is such a common, and so unfortunately, such a common experience that does so much damage. Um, and, you know, you hear in the biggest media things and movies and news, like the Catholic experiences, but then when you talk to people, you realize, no, 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 it's, that may be some of the loudest experiences for whatever reason, but it is everywhere. And it's such an unfortunate thing that the foundational concept that is such a godly thing as a purity is so warped and twisted to being such controlling shame inducing damaging in many different ways idea but i'm so glad you touched on that um lucy do you have any experience with or think anything you want to add on to the idea of the purity culture and shame i would just add that you know and i mentioned earlier that one of the ways that we are controlled is our autonomy is taken from us at a very young age to where you don't even remember ever having any ability to self-govern. Um, we had no ability to self-regulate. We were not skilled in any way, shape, or form to do those things. And so we were completely and 100% reliant on the uh, authority or the system that we were a part of. And that can be fine if the system is good, but when the system is corrupt, sure. it's a really bad thing. And so she mentioned the responsibility that we had in our specific culture, in our respective community, was that, you know, something that we experienced in our home was a lack of privacy. And I was confused by that as a child, but as an adult, I look back and I refer to that as a part of the, the sexual abuse that we experienced. And that was, we were not allowed to close our bedroom door. We were not allowed to lock it. If when we grew up to, um, you know, teenage years, and I remember one of my sisters, cause there's 15 of us in my family. And so there was, I didn't even know that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So when my sister said earlier about all, all the whole family showed up, that's what it was like. It was our, it, so the whole family, <laughs> It was our wow. brothers and sisters and their spouses. Um, so that was mm -hmm. a lot of people and very intimidating. And so there was four, four of us sisters that shared a bedroom and I was the youngest one in the room and my older sisters would close the door and they would lock the door. And so we, because of that, we had our doorknob removed from the door. Wow. I couldn't yeah. understand that because my brothers had a room and that didn't happen to them. I didn't, mm. it, it was really confusing and I was, had so much uh, shame around that. I could also recognize the shame, you know, the body language and my older sisters and how uncomfortable that made them because at the time I was pretty young 
And so we just experienced uh, in various ways our privacy uh, being taken and not even given the privacy to take care of your body in a way that anybody would. And so in every way imaginable, our autonomy was taken. And so when it came to purity, the confusing thing about that was, like my sister mentioned, we were responsible for our own purity. And if something bad happened to us, that was our fault. We weren't pure enough. You know, we weren't being pure enough. There was something that we did. And so that was really damaging. And I do remember, you know, after I left, I started dating my husband, Luke, when I was 20. And Mm -hmm. I had read the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And he had actually read that book too. (laughs) And so even after like all the priming that happened in my growing up years, and then I read this book, And I'm very much familiar with the purity culture. And so my husband and I did everything perfect. You know, we didn't kiss. By the book, literally. Yes. We we didn't hold hands until we were engaged. We didn't kiss until our wedding day. And um, we get married. And I knew that my husband had his own experience with abuse. And sure. I didn't understand all of that. I was 21 years old. We were very young, but not even a year into being married, suddenly we are faced with all of this shame that we had about our own sexual stories that prevented us from really being uh, vulnerable with each other, really being like intimate, you know, emotionally intimate, emotionally connected. And it makes no sense because we did everything right. <laughs> so, right. So really our lives should have been pretty easy breezy, especially at first in our marriage, but it was anything but that. So I'm really grateful to have, you know, had the journey that I have and that Luke and I both have really pursued understanding our own sexual story. We all have one um, and gotten so much healing from that. But yes, I definitely don't recommend the purity culture. <laughs> at all <laughs> zero out of ten. Zero out of ten stars definitely yeah yeah i, I don't know i'm not gonna add much to that because that's that's great so i, I want to ask you guys this next what have been the biggest things that you've learned about god church faith yourselves etc through the process of leaving your amish upbringing and in the years since what i learned about god is that he is kind I used to view him as hostile, as angry. Hmm. Someone asked me once, what expression does God have on his face when he's looking at you? And Hmm. it was such a good question. It made me think so much. And I saw disappointment. I saw Hmm. disapproval. I kind of viewed him like he was turned away from me. His back was to me, but he was looking over his shoulder at me to see if I was behaving, if I was doing what was right with a look of disapproval. And I've learned since that he is kind. He's very kind. And that he made my body good. And that my feelings matter. That the warnings that I felt in my body were accurate. And that I could Mm -hmm. trust that. And for me, um, (laughs) it's it's actually something similar to what Lucy mentioned. Like I saw him my experience about God through my parents, through my siblings was he was rigid. He was harsh. He was expecting me to mess up and waiting to punish me somehow. 
So that left me clearly not wanting to pursue a relationship with this harsh God. And so when I had a moment with him, meaning when he, after going back to, to uh, what, when Lucy was talking about this revival that we went to. And so my experience with that was I was 19 years old at the time when I accepted him into my life. I struggled with it for quite some time after hearing the plan of salvation and seeing how simple it was. But at the same time, I saw him as someone that will take any bit of joy, uh, pleasure, um, excitement that if I would give my heart to him, if I would allow him fully into my life, he would discard of all that. That's how I saw. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh no, you're not, you're not coming near me. And, and I fought that, that there came a moment where I surrendered, you know, surrendered and, and chose to trust him through the process. And my journey throughout that has been so different from like my actual experience with him. The way I experienced him in such a tangible way um, when we left home, when we ran away from home, the way he brought us back together, Lucy and I, when we were separated, um, not having a clue, you know, how, how that's even going to happen. But then just experiencing him, like seeing him completely different, like when I imagine mm -hmm. him looking at me now I see delight in his eyes like he's so glad to see me I I experienced mm -hmm. him as a very patient loving just complete genuine care for me in every aspect of my life and that's how I experience him today which I'm so grateful for. Mm -hmm. And I see, see grief in his eyes when I think of his face towards me about the harm that has been caused throughout the years, that he's not happy about that, but he is grieved and that his purpose for me is to live in peace with myself mm -hmm. and that will be peace with him. You guys both saying that kind of idea about how God sees us, what came to mind was what we believe about what God believes about us can have so much influence on the shame we take on and also the shame we can be freed from mm -hmm. where if we believe, I mean, God, the most powerful omniscient omnipresent being of the universe if we believe he sees us with disdain and judgment and disappointment and all these different things, man, what did I must be really bad for to deserve that? Mm -hmm. Cause I must not be worthy. If, if the guy who, if the, if the being who has the power of overall and has created all things looks at me with not that great of a disposition, I must really not be worth it. But then on the other side is flip that around. If the most powerful being in all of the universe looks at me and smiles and is proud of me and thinks I'm like, dang, what did I do to deserve that? It's the opposite of 
I didn't do that much to deserve that, but yet he's still, wow, that's amazing. I must be, have value. And shame can be burrowed deep in one way, and then the other way is, once they believe the opposite, it's like, wow, this shame is lifting from me. Um, just that has so much influence alone without the external influence of shame, which says a lot about the power and the freedom that God can bring just by how we believe about him. So I love that you guys said that. It's a really, really good point. I have two more questions for you. I want to ask you this first. What is one thing you would each tell your younger selves about God, church, faith, yourself, etc.? I would tell my younger self that my heart was not deceitful and that my heart mm-hmm. was actually good, designed the way that God intended. All throughout my childhood, I was I had a very tender conscience towards God. And I had an experience when I was about four or five years old where our family had a tragedy. My my older brother had a horrific accident that um, he lost one of his hands in the accident. And it was very mm-hmm. traumatic for him and it was traumatic for all of us. And throughout that experience, my dad made a comment to him when he came home from the hospital about the fact he he said that God was punishing my brother for his rebellion. And I became so scared of God in that in that moment. And I must have been four, four years old, five years old at the most. And I have a son who is almost five now. And I imagine the impact that that would have on him if he heard his father say those words because he is he's absorbing everything and he understands so many things. And after that experience, I that's actually when I started having nightmares and I would walk around and say, I'm sorry out loud. And my older siblings and my mom has have attested to this. I would say I'm sorry out loud when I had a thought that I thought was bad. I was so afraid that God was going to come back. You know, he's going to come as a thief in the night. So he's going to intentionally surprise me and show up when I'm not ready. And so I had this fear and I couldn't go to sleep at night until I said I was sorry to every single one of my family members. I would say something along the lines of I'm sorry if I did anything towards you today that was wrong. And of course, most of the time, I probably didn't. Actually, I was very little. I was a kid. <laughs> but I had this very uh, sensitive conscience towards doing what was right and towards God. And so I would have, if I could go back and I would tell my younger self that my dad had a lot of pain and trauma that made him say that and that that was not true and that God is actually holding me and he's holding my brother that had that happen to him and that he was heartbroken that that happened. Uh, Yeah, I would tell myself that God had so much compassion for me and that he hurts every time that I do and that he takes no pleasure or delight at all in my personal harm. For me, one thing I would tell my younger self is that you are good and Mm -hmm. you, what you, what your body has been telling you, what you've sensed, the intuition that would speak when you felt things were off, that those were right. And that that was for your protection. Mm-hmm. And that was not evil. You know, the, the things that you felt, you can trust yourself and that your heavenly father fully delights in you. 
he made you in his image. Those are the things that I would tell my younger self. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, a clear theme here and it's all the people I talk to, whether they grew up in my church or in different churches or in different, completely different backgrounds of faith or something. It's, there is oftentimes a core wound relating to something having to do with them not trusting themselves, not believing they're good. There's a deferment outward and not inward because they don't think they can trust what comes from inside them. And that just is an entire perspective. It's a life direction changing perspective when we alter that and realize, no, no, I'm good. God made me to be good. My intuition is from God to lead me to him, to the right thing, to healing, to all these different good things. And not trusting myself is the thing that leads me in the wrong direction. It's what trusting myself is what leads me to God in the right way. So that's really, really great stuff. And last question, the question I ask to every guest, this podcast and my book are all about crumpled papers, which is a metaphor for the ideas, beliefs, and practices that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate or rethink or completely unlearn. So my question is, what is, I know this entire conversation has been about this, but what is one specific or a few of the biggest, most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn or get a new understanding of? For me, it is that another human is, is allowed to have authority over my own life more than I do. I came to understand <laughs> that good. God gives me autonomy. He himself does not strip us of our free will. He gives us the ability to self-govern. In fact, he encourages that. The scriptures tells us to use self-control, which another way to say that would be self-govern, you know? And so... Mm-hmm. When we do self-govern, that is what makes us strong individuals that actually add value to a community. And another thing that I would um, crumple up and throw away is the idea that a community is everyone has to think alike and look alike and do alike. Yeah. A community is actually made up of diversity and thought and expression. You mentioned in page 134 in your book, Austin, about you called it the weekend concerned list. You were talking about, (laughs) um, so if somebody hasn't read your book, I definitely recommend that they go read it. But you talk about that and and how the intention behind that very likely was not malicious um, Mm -hmm. when it was instated. And that is such a great example of a system that was meant to help people and it became corrupted. And that is why it's so important for systems to be challenged. One of the things that I grew up believing was that the leaders had ultimate authority, like full authority, and that I had none as an individual. And that even in some ways, my parents didn't have authority in my life, meaning it could be usurped by church leaders. When members of a system are discouraged from challenging the system and they're even told not to, that is when the system becomes corrupt and harmful. And that's when it's time Mm -hmm. to walk away and put a safe distance between you and that system because it will drain you of your goodness and leave you questioning the very things that are essential to your well-being, which is God and friends who challenge the system. If a system doesn't get challenged, it becomes corrupt. It just does. Anytime throughout history, you can look at so many examples, whether it's an organization, whether it's a church, whether it's a business or a family system, they have to be challenged. 
that's what keeps a system healthy. That's what keeps us growing and really changing and evolving the way that we're supposed to. And so when, for, for me now, moving forward, that's something I look for is, is challenging the system welcomed. If it's not, that's a big red flag. Very well said. And also, side note, if you were listening and don't know what the Weekend Concern List is, next week we actually dive into that. So come back next week for that. Sophie, go ahead. Crumpled papers. Um, I have a few. <laughs> a few that I'll share. Great. The first one is my view about God, which I have shared a little bit on that. And that is viewing him growing up as rigid, harsh, and unloving, unkind, uh, judgmental. It's such a big one. To just seeing him and experiencing him as such a loving, kind, genuine, caring God, like in every aspect, like he truly cares about me in a way that I have never experienced him growing up. And I know some of that probably changed as a mom, uh, becoming a mom and the love that I have for my own kids and the care that I have for them. And then imagining, and he says he cares for us more than a parent can even care for their child, right? And so those are things that would go through my mind throughout the years. And I'm like, how is that even possible? Because this is the view that I have of him, you know, that is so wrong and so harmful. And yet, like trying to make that transition into, okay, how do I change that view? And so that's definitely papers that I've had to crumple and toss aside and learn and experience him for who he really is and who he says he is. Another thing is uh, trusting my intuition and being taught that you can never trust yourself. Uh, it will lead you down the wrong path. You have to have somebody telling you what to do, what not to do at all times of, of your life. And, you know, that had to be someone that was deemed, you know, much higher, much more spiritual, uh, because it's not like you could hear from him on your own. You had to be told what he says there had to be an interpreter or a mediator <laughs> between you yep. and God so to speak uh, and and learning that that intuition was given to me as a gift from him to have direct communication with him for my safety to keep me safe but to also show me things about himself Mm-hmm. And to really build, be able to build a relationship within that aspect. And, you know, just building that relationship, I don't see him as a God that is so far away. I can't reach him. I see him no. with me at all times. I can talk to him whenever, whenever. I don't have to pause and talk to him because he's he's with me. I can have a conversation with any time mm-hmm. of the day. That's a paper by itself. That's its own crumpled paper right there. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that has definitely been um, a huge one for me is trusting my intuition. And I would, the last one I want to share is 
my sexuality, which I had, you know, shared a little bit, the shame that came with that and the responsibility, the false responsibility that was, that I carried throughout my life. And it brought so much shame, so much condemnation, so much fear, so much rejection towards myself and being able to really experience myself in a different way, experience him in a different way, see myself for who he created me as an individual and see myself as good. I'm created in his image and he's good. So that means he created me as good. Very well said. Lucy Sovi, this has been, I mean, I was so excited to have you both on because I, of how intrigued I was, first of all, to hear your story and the fact that I knew the conversation was going to offer a lot of value and insight, which I, it was very valuable to me just to hear the, um, not only just the, the comparisons to, to my own experiences, but just hearing your experiences and the ways that you navigated that and the crumpled papers that you, na- that you dealt with and, and how you found your way through that. Um, and I, I hope and I know that this conversation will offer that value to many people listening as well. So thank you both for coming on. Thank you so much, Austin. Thank you very much, Austin. Absolutely. And real quick, before we go, if anybody listening wants to reach out to Lucy or Sovi to message them or ask them a question or hear more about the story or whatever, I am linking both of their Facebook accounts down below, which is the best way to reach them through some kind of Facebook messaging. So they are in the description below. And lastly, if you would be so kind as to drop a rating star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, if they allow it, and on Apple Podcasts, leave a review because they let you write a review. That would be super appreciated. Having those ratings and reviews really does help. So if you can, I would be so grateful. But that's it for this episode, guys. Thank you for listening. And until next time, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.